God didn't like your comment, Brad. He... Yeah, apparently I got <laughs> I got struck down right there. <laughs> now, whose fault was that? It was yours, Mike. But it was it, it's because I made you host and you closed your phone, so I guess it was mine. But uh... no, no, I'm sorry. All right, no, now, I didn't know it was going to happen. So let me put this PowerPoint back up. Let's pretend like none of this happened. <laughs> Can we do that? Can I get get a do over? Yeah, I'll take my comment back so nothing happens. Man, it, I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, telling you too. right now. Yeah, both, <laughs> both of you. <laughs> all right, now, awesome. I feel like I'm I'm ready to roll again. Good morning, folks. Let me tell you about my back surgery. Yeah, I'm just all right. Okay, so we're out there tonight. Let's keep rolling. Now, okay, the, the other thing about this, you know, he, he went out. Matt made a great point, okay, with a few others. Don't know who that is. But he also had a point here where he didn't tell anybody, you know, what, what God had put on his heart. You know, so I know for me, I tend to get so um, excited. You know, I'm that traditional coach, that rah-rah, you know, let's be the encourager. I want to go out and start shouting from the rooftops this is what we should be doing okay and i think sometimes you know um it, it, it's it's purposeful just to be quiet you know um just listen to your surroundings and just understand what god's putting on your heart there um so i i think you know those three points in this opening section here you know one he stayed put for three days two he did things when people were sleeping or or weren't around and number three he didn't tell anybody okay so i think he was purposeful in all this because what you're going to see is there is a big proclamation that's going to be made you know, at some point here by Nehemiah as to what we're going to do, okay? But he's he's kind of settling himself here as he enters the region. Okay, so let me continue through the passage and just, just read through this, okay? Uh, I had not told anyone what God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one that I was riding on, which had been broken down, and its gates... And, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate, the king's pool. There was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up uh, the valley by the night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. So again, just a picture of Nehemiah surveying the area. Obviously, wasn't able to get through everywhere. Okay. Um, I guess his donkey didn't have four-wheel drive there to get over some of the destruction. Okay, but now it leads us to a point where um, I, I think he's done all his his preparation, if you will, in surveying the land. His, as Heidi said, his recon. Okay, and now we're at a point where we can, you know, we can start to think. Let's take some action. Okay. So the next point I think I want to get into is this next section. Okay, uh, the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because as of yet, I had nothing, I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or the officials or any, anyone else who would be doing the work. So again, um, I think he does this at night or when people weren't awake or around because he didn't want to deal with these people. Okay, he knew he was going to have to, but he wanted to be thoughtful about how he was going to do it. And what you're going to find as we move into chapter three, okay, I think he's very purposeful. There's 40 different locations that Nehemiah starts to talk about on the wall. 
uh, in terms of where he assigns people to do the work. So I think when you're thinking about this, you know, my wife and I are in the process of building a house and I'm amazed, um, you know, Jason Winters is building our house and he's all over the place. Like I thought I was, um, you know, I, I thought I tend to be impulsive. Jason's pretty active too. But what I've really found with Jason, he's super thoughtful about every single detail. And I'm amazed at how how thorough he's been. Um, I never knew that about him. And and I'm seeing this as he's building this this house. It's it's an undertaking. And I think that's the part that I see with Nehemiah is this is just not we, we cannot sell our work short, no matter how simple it may be. I think that we have to take time and the due diligence to plan appropriately. And when we do that, then I think that we get the greatest reward. And that's what I think was happening here, was that he wanted to do this and, and, and get, him, get his mind right so that he could address officials the correct way. Any thoughts with that so far about where he's gone? He, he did a little bit of a survey on the area and now he's back you know, to where um, he's getting ready to do the work. What are your thoughts there? Mike, I see kind of a progression. I mean, there's always, there's a spiritual element to this, obviously, but there's a lot of difference between an idea and like implementing a plan. You know, a lot of people have great ideas and I think we would call them maybe dreams where the visionary is the person who makes a plan to make the action. So it's interesting, like it starts with himself and there's a few, you know, a few people that he kind of has the buy-in with. And then eventually you get to the point where he shares it and I think that's kind of interesting, just the progression um, as he makes his plan to make this happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, in Proverbs, it says, you know, one does not give an answer before he hears. Okay. It's folly and shame. So I, I think for us, you know, we have to see and we have to hear before we do, you know, and I think those are some key things that are starting to, to come out somewhat subtly. Okay, big part of this next section here is um, just want to take a look at um, verses 17 and 18. There's a lot, lot to be said in here. Um, and I think it's, this is where he is now going to begin his proclamation, if you will. Okay, and, and just let me read through it quick. Okay, Nehemiah said, um, then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me for what the king had said to me. They replied, let's start rebuilding, so they began the good work. This section, I really, I really want to bust up quite a bit. And I think that's why I, I kind of slowed down through the end of chapter two, because I think it's important to spend a little time in this section, because there's just a lot of detail that we have to attend to. Okay, so the first thing, you know, I thought Andy Stanley did a great job with this, and I just really want to walk through it um, so that we, we feel good about it. So there were four components, okay, in, uh, in, in verse 17 and into 18. The, the problem, the solution, the reason something must be done, and, and the reason something must be done now. So let's let's go through each one of those in detail. Okay. So when we look at the first thing, I tried to take a little blurb from the passage, but just to to think about it a little bit. Okay. Then I said to them, "You see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. The gates have been burned with fire." So, so it's like this new guy's on the scene, right? Okay, the guy from Susa, 
okay, who hadn't even been in the neighborhood, he's going to come in and he has the ability to point out deficits. So think about yourself, you know, you know, Ryan's going on to a job and the first thing he can do is say how terrible things are. You know, he, he's an expert in the area of, of insulation. When he comes in, you know, I asked Ryan one time about our dilapidated school that we have and, and how we, we've got our pipes that are leaking and it's terrible. And, and um, he talked to me about what the insulation should be and, and it's so different than what we have. If he would come to our facility, I think the first thing he could do is ridicule us because we have such a poor facility, you know, and, and I think that's, that's where Nehemiah did not go. Okay. Um, he just said, um, he did, he wasn't critical. What, what you're seeing here is you see the word we again, right? I mean, that's going to keep coming up with Nehemiah. Okay. It's like that identification principle we talked about where he's saying we have a problem. Okay. Instead of instigating things, he identified the problem. He didn't, he didn't pull any punches. There's a problem. Okay. But, but he did it with a lot of grace. And I think that's the first thing that stood out to me is, um, you know, we need to open people's eyes that things are bad, but we've got to do it clearly with a, a high level of grace. And I think there's a nice component there. Okay. And I don't think he sugarcoated, you know, but I also think that he, he took on the burden himself and, and took on the responsibility as well. Any thoughts with that first statement there with the problem? I mean, you're going to see this continually from Nehemiah. And again, I think Andy Stanley said this. I love this comment. Okay. If you're a vision visionary or a vision caster, okay, you are always waking people up from apathy. Okay. So think about it. Think about Mount Calvary Church. Okay. I, I do believe we function in some areas in apathy across the ministry. Okay. And if we can't address that, then then we're we're clearly not seeking God's uh, face and everything we do, you know, I think there's more to be, to be seen. So it's not just, I'll just use Mount Coward, but any organization, when you don't, you, you know, when you don't wake people up from apathy, I think as a leader, you, you need to look at yourself, you know? So I think that's, that, that's constant. And I think we need to establish practices where we're constantly looking at our organizations to identify apathy. Okay, talk openly about it, talk openly about what we would like to be, you know, what we could be, and, and kind of move through there. Next thing that really threw out to me here was, you know, again, the solution. So, you know, Nehemiah obviously said, here's the problem, you know, we're all responsible, look at the problem we're in. But then he, he, he said, here, here is the solution. We need to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, okay? Sometimes it takes somebody to state the obvious to motivate those people in apathy, you know, right? It's not, it's not that difficult. You know, I think there's some times when we have to say, you know, you know folks, th this, this might not be the problem, okay? We, we might have the solution right in front of us. We just got to do it, you know? So I think um, it's one sentence, you know, you paint a clear picture for the future. I think everybody who heard this knew what this guy wants to do. He wants to build a wall around Jerusalem. Okay. So he provided a solution. It kills me when people come to me with problems as a leader. You know, they want to gripe to me. First thing I'll ask them is tell me how, how we can fix it. 
You know, what's your preferred future? How are we going to do it? And I think that's part of being a leader is that we have to, you know, command that. And we also have to, to talk about that. What's what's where's the place we want to be? Okay. Next thing. We have to provide a reason that something must be done. Okay. So again, you know, he said, let's go rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. He told them what they had to do, but then he also gave them the reason why. Okay. People need incentive to work. Okay. People need to be motivated. People need to be encouraged. Okay. And I think for us, you know, as we go through this as leaders, um, we, we have to identify why we have to do something. Okay. And, and I think that, um, you know, again, you see the word we in here. Okay. He's not saying you, you got to be very careful. You know, I think those pronouns are meaningful. And I think that, you know, when you take on that burden yourself, you got to remember Nehemiah wasn't here. This is not, I mean, he hasn't been living in this, this area. Okay. He's been in Susa. Um, and, and I think for him to take on that burden was, was, was pretty monumental. Other versions of the Bible might use the word instead of disgrace. They might use reproach, you know, an embarrassment. Um, you know, I, I think those are pretty strong words that, you know, tend to have people start to internalize, you know, how should I approach this problem? Okay. And, and he was saying here that Israel is just not any city. Okay. It's a special organization, you know, so I think that he knew that the people here were, were committed emotionally to the location. And, and I think that's what we need to tap into too. You know, I know in my profession in education, you, you know, my hope is that people are in the business for the right reason. They're in it for kids. So I always try to pull that back in, in what I do. You know, like I can talk about curriculum instruction, we can talk about policy procedure, whatever you wanna talk about, but it's all gotta come back to kids. You know, so for me, I think when you set a vision in your organization, or you have a mission statement, you've got to pull people back to it so they understand their why. You know, if you're not doing that, you, you know, I'm not sure they're ever going to have the internal motivation to get done what you what you want done. So he was doing that. Any thoughts so far? You know, and again, remember, you know, I, I think the one thing I want to do is I want to go back and study uh, Ezra as well. I didn't do that before I studied Nehemiah. And I'd like to get a, a, a greater picture about, you know, what took place with, um, you know, kind of the uh, the temple, the Ark, the, the Ark of the Covenant, and just understanding, you know, how they were missing so many spiritual elements that I think were as important as well. So I think people were, you know, just had this void. And I think um, he was he was reaching out to that part of this. Last, last point to make, I think, is that, um, you know, we have to create a sense of urgency, okay? So I think at this point, you know, the fourth, fourth part of this little section here is that we really need to um, talk about why it needs to be done now. So what Nehemiah said, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me, okay? So... You know, I, I think we, we have to look at this and repeatedly ask, okay, you know, why, why do we need to build the walls, okay? 
uh, why do we need to protect the city? Why do we need to protect the people? Okay. Um, you know, I, I think that we really have to, you know, start considering, um, you, you know, we can't do certain things that God asks us to do until we get some of the basic things done. So just going through this, I thought Andy, Andy Stanley did a nice job in his book, just, just identifying um, the, these core areas as he went through. Any thoughts? I wanted to pull it back up and just have a little conversation about it. Mike, the fourth point makes me think of times where, you know, God has laid something on my heart that needs to be done. And I see the, I see the problem. I see, you know, the solution and uh, definitely see that it, that something needs to be done, but it's the now part where sometimes it's like, yes, we, this is so important. We need to do it, but maybe it's not God's time yet. And God hasn't started to move in other people's hearts. And so, long you know times where i've presented something that we should do to a group of people and get resistance but then three or four months later they come to me with the exact same idea and saying hey we should do this it's like that's right and so sometimes the now part is hard to really discern uh how urgent is the need that you're seeing is it now or is god waiting and and wants you to wait just a little bit longer it's good yeah, sometimes it's like work around the house, right? My, my wife tells me all the time that there's a honey-do list, and it, it obviously needs done, okay? And in her mind, it, it needs done now, but we, we put a lot of projects off for a long time. And and I just wonder, you know, what, what inspires us or motivates us to get things done um, what, what, once we see it? You know, I, th I think isn't that our role as believers is to, you know, fix something that we know, is broken or get involved in something that we know needs action. Um, just something to think about. Any other thoughts there? Um, I think in one of the books it talked about how the um, Jews had spiritual lethargy and cold-hearted indifference, and it seemed like they kind of had baggage. So I felt like he was he was trying to remind them of what their position should be. You know, they were God's chosen people, and I think he was trying to like get back at their original uh, spiritual identity. And the, the wall was really a metaphor for their spiritual position, so. That's perfect. That's perfect. I think, again, you know, to dig in this even deeper, I think if we really understood, okay, and, and we do even to this day, how important that, that area is, um, you, you know, and that calling from, from God, uh, in the Old Testament. I think it's it, it's vital to feather that in for sure. Any other thoughts to that? That's good, Heidi. Yeah, kind of, kind of going along with that. I was, I was doing a study for another book that I'm teaching on in school, and the commentator quoted a, a secular psychiatrist who said that if he ever encountered someone who was, you know, struggling or even suicidal or dealing with really major issues his number one recommendation is to tell them to help other people because when you're focused on someone else or something else it has a tendency to alleviate uh, your focus from your current struggles and predicaments and i think that that's you know to, to heidi's point too i think that that's part of what's happening here as well is instead of focusing on themselves and things that are going badly, 
if they can, you know, be united and focus on something outside of themselves, that it can alleviate some of that, you know, self frustration, you know, wallowing around in, in worry or whatever. It's perfect. Good comment. Any other thoughts before we leave this area? Yeah, I would, I would tend to echo everybody else. I think, yeah, we're, we're kind of in the middle of a software update at work and it affects a lot of people in the office and it, uh, you know, I'm ready for it to go, to get done, to be, to be rolling. And, um, everybody knows that it's a good thing to do, but it affects them and change is hard. Right. So, uh, I'm a pretty patient person, but I think I've learned more patience through all of this. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, those points were, were spot on. And that fourth one hit me just, um, the timing, uh, we want, we want everything to be done in our time, but our time may, may not be the Lord's time. Um, but no, those are, those are some good points. So again, let me just, again, I had two or three different people I'm reading here on Nehemiah, but you know, a couple of things, another author said, I thought was great, you know, per, just in summary, pervasive sense of identification in, in, in the 17th uh, verse there. Okay. You have to acknowledge the seriousness of the plight that Jerusalem is in. Okay. We have to appeal to specific action. And then at the very end, I also wanted to say, you know, I thought it was really good that at the end, Nehemiah now points out, I also told them about the gracious hand of God on me and what the king has said to me. So I, I just imagine, you know, Nehemiah explaining that whole interaction with the king and, and just giving his personal testimony about how this is, you know, God's leading. You know, so I think that encouragement is also important that people have to understand from a leader, you know, what has motivated you to get to this point, okay? How has God challenged you, um, you know, to get to this process? Um, so, again, I wish there was more detail here. I wish there was more dialogue as to what, what that speech looked like. You know, I'm sure it was pretty profound by Nehemiah to these people, Um but, but it, it had an element of a personal testimony. So any thought to that? I mean, I think, I think it's important for people to understand, you know, what, what, what reassurances God has given you as to why we need to move forward. You know, and I, I think if you can't explain that as a leader, then you obviously haven't spent that upfront time that Nehemiah required. Right, the time in prayer, okay, the time in 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 in, in emotional. You know, he started by crying. He prayed and he fasted. Okay, he spent a lot of time thinking about the concept. God had to put a lot of um, thoughts on his heart. So now he's got that opportunity to share with others, to, in order to motivate them to do the work. So I thought this was you know pretty pretty profound as well here to finish that way.
Okay, so then he, he completed, obviously, they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Okay, so again, we've got this affirmation from, from the group, you know, and I think, you know, the one thing for me, and, you know, um, in the Bible, work, when you look at the, the definition of work, okay, it means any, any effort that's producing a new state of affairs. Okay, um, it's goal oriented and it's action oriented. So I think at, at the end of the day, um, when, when they start talking about, you know, rebuilding or doing the work, okay, and this good work, um, we have to actually understand what that is. Um, it, it's obvious that what, whatever Nehemiah has done and said, it had an immediate effect on everybody. You know, I think about that locker room speech for the team, you know, when you can get them motivated to go out to perform above level. I think as a coach, you know, I was always of the mindset that our role is to take, you know, their average and make them play above, you know, wherever that is. You know, so I think that's kind of where Nehemiah is doing this at this point. He's trying to get people to act beyond their normal nature or beyond their average. Um, and I think that's, that's, that, that makes great leaders. Um, you know, I, I think the one thing we have to be careful of, and, and, and I'll talk a little bit about this, but like um, one of the authors mentioned, it's called a closed corporation. You know, I think we're, we're, we're really um, protective of our spaces. So think about, remember, Nehemiah is an outsider. So the outsider comes in, and the outsider is who caused all this work to be done after it has sat in ruins for so many years. So what message does that send to our organizations? When you look to hire, when you look to bring people in, should you always be hiring internally? Should you hire externally? You know, so what's your thoughts on that as Nehemiah is obviously an external leader coming in he's been able to assess what why do you think it was important for him to be that external leader in a situation fresh pair of eyes yeah you know if, if you're in the if you're in the thick of things there are so many things that you can miss because you're in it every day you're grinding Every day, you you seldom get get the time to take, you know, come up come up for air and look at the big picture. Whereas a fresh out, fresh set of eyes can come in and be like, well, yeah, this is obvious. I see this, this, and this issue. Yeah, I'm in an organization with 19 administrators. Okay, so when we have 19 administrators, when one opens, I have the ability to hire internally or externally, you know, and there's always residual when you do either. Okay, at Mount Calvary Christian School, we're looking to hire a superintendent. Okay, you know, the same can be held true. Do you rise somebody up from within the organization or do you bring them in from outside the organization? And I think that's that's a key component to think about. Um, you, you know, I, I don't know that I think there's good and bad to everything, but at the end of the day, are we vulnerable enough as an organization to allow, you know, that external person to come in and orchestrate what we're going to do? I mean, you got to think about that too. This is probably a pretty tight knit community and this outsider came in and just motivated them to work. So I think that's another piece to this is, you know, as organizations, we don't want to be a closed corporation. I think the, the apathy that we talked about where they were, they were, that's where they were kind of emotionally or spiritually for the city 
really necessitated somebody in this case to come in from the outside to motivate them, right? That there wasn't, there wasn't going to be somebody to motivate them to change. And then sometimes that can be different if, if we're leading out of a position of strength where things are going well and there is momentum and you don't want to disrupt the momentum. Sometimes, you know, there's a, there's a reason to do things internally, but in this case, everything's dead. Absolutely. Any other thoughts there? Brad, how does Chick-fil-A approach that with, you know, with people coming from the outside into their organization? They have a pretty, pretty strong, strong system internally. How, how, are they vulnerable enough to offer people in from the outside to, to support leadership? Yeah, I mean, I can go to the corporate level or even just at our franchise level. But like Ryan said, it's, it's I mean, you can bring people from outside to see the business differently. I call anybody that starts young and grows, I call them the grassroots leaders. And they tend to always think a specific way. It's always been this way. You know, this is how we do it here. Um, I brought on two executive directors recently at my restaurant, and they've transformed us a little bit because of the different, they see things differently. They do it differently. They've been challenging us. So there's friction there. Um, but I think, I think there the key is really the culture, making sure that people, especially if you bring them from outside, um, that they share the same values and vision that we have at Chick-fil-A. Because if you have two different visions, you're going to have a really hard time. So thankfully, they both um, really adhere to our culture and the vision that I've set up at my restaurant. Um, but I know at a corporate level, it can be dangerous. Chick-fil-A was bringing in at a corporate level people from like Google and Apple. And there was a it's it's interesting. You can almost tell the externals at Chick-fil-A corporate because they may not um, always say my pleasure or maybe have the same type of uh, servant's heart that we're used to. So you can actually, it's kind of weird, but you can actually pick sometimes the externals out, people who don't, haven't grown up with that same kind of value system. So. It's interesting. And I had the opportunity to bring Brad in to speak to our teachers, you know, so we had about 200 teachers that he worked with. And um, just the focus of it was, you know, customer service to our parents. And, um, I had a lot of teachers that were, were fixated on the organization and not what was being said, you know, and, and, and I think that's a, that's a risk, right? I mean, you know, I think it's a risk when you don't clearly define this is all we're going to focus on is, you know, just working with our customers and, and, uh, you know, it's a good point. Okay. Let's start, keep moving here a little bit. So just as we move to the end of this, you know, we start to see what now happens at the end of the, um, at the end of the reading here. So I'll just go through it. When Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite, the official, and, and Geshem the Arab heard about this, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? So think about it. Let's just go back quick. You got everybody, rah, rah, shish, boom, bah. They replied, let's, let's start rebuilding. They're excited. What's the next thing that happens immediately? Okay, they're ridiculed, they're mocked. Okay, so holy mackerel, he finally got this whole group to get on board and get after it, and then immediately they're mocked and ridiculed. Okay, and and they're also being questioned um, for their disobedience. Are they rebelling against the king? So I think that the message here, for me at least, was right away. It hit me right in the face. Was the minute you you step out in faith for God to do His will know that the enemy is going to show up immediately and try to discourage you. 
okay? I mean, that's, that's about as clear as can be with this statement in verse 19. Okay, now how you know you got to look at it too. I mean, it's going to happen. So how do you deal with this ridicule? Okay, you know how did Nehemiah uh, approach it? Okay, I think it's important that we need to encourage our people and let them know it's okay. God's in control. So let's see what Nehemiah said. I answered them by saying, "The God of the heaven will give us success. We, His servants, start rebuilding. But as for you," You have no share in Jerusalem or any claim against the historic right to it. So Nehemiah made kind of three things clear with his response. Okay. You know, rebuilding the wall is God's work. Okay. So I think no matter what happens, no matter how we're mocked or ridiculed, if you know you're doing God's work, there, there's a peace of mind with that. Okay, he, the, the other point that was made in this response was that Jews are God's servants. Okay, so not only is it's God's work to rebuild the wall, we're, we're his servants. Okay, and we need to be obedient. Um, so I think that he's just reminding them of that. And then also saying here at the end, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim to historic right. So he's speaking directly towards those three accusers and, and basically telling them you have no part in this matter. You know, he, he's kindly saying, but out, right? So I think he comes to the defense of his people at the end, um, again, by clearly articulating himself. And I think it doesn't seem to me that there's a ton of emotion here, okay? I don't see, you know, I, I don't know, but I know for me, you know, what I tend to argue with those three people who mocked and ridiculed, would I become, um, would I have a different state of emotions? And I think that's something we really have to consider as we deal with those people. Now, you know, think about it again, some of these people were internal, you know, they're 10, 12 miles away. Um, some of them were actually going to be married or related to folks that are commissioned to build this wall. So there's, these enemies are internal, they're within and they're around. And I, I think for us, we've got to recognize that. What are your thoughts there here with the second, you know, the end of the uh, end of the chapter? I was I was feeling like they there's usually two systems um, for success. Like there's the world system and blueprint, and then there's God's system. And I felt like um, he was trying to say, "Look, we're under God's system right now, and God will make us successful." But they were trying to appeal to the world system and saying, "Like, oh, you know, you're going to be a failure because you're going against the king." But the way they parried that was just, "No, we're on God's system here." So. Don't worry about us. Absolutely. Other thoughts? I think anytime that you try to lead change, there's going to be opposition, right? Of some kind, right? People don't like change. We do these personality uh, studies as part of our place class. And, you know, the vast majority of people don't like change. <laughs> um, they're resistant to it, right? So you're going to face the opposition. But when you face the opposition, I think, Mike, when you talk about emotions, Nehemiah is able to have peace 
in addressing it because he was confident that it was the will of God. And I think as leaders, we have to be confident that it's God uh, and that it's not us trying to move. Um, Absolutely. Any other thoughts before I move? Sam Ballad and Tobiah were names that Nehemiah knew before that conversation occurred. Absolutely. Absolutely. So he had to expect it, right? I mean, I think, I think he had to expect this. And um, again, in my mind is he, he was so succinct in verse 20. You, you got to think that he planned this exchange that he thought he was thoughtful of it. You know, and I think as you're rehearsing how you would do things and what you would do, um, you know, I, I think you're going to, you're going to, you're going to do very well in these challenging situations, no matter what the environment looks like. Um, so I think again, you know, there, there is no, you know, there's no substitute for preparation. And I think we're seeing that from Nehemiah very clearly because whether it was his exchange with the king or his exchange with the people of Jerusalem or his exchange with the people that are going to mock and ridicule him every time he comes out with a very, um, specific statement. Okay. And I think that's something also that stands out to me quite a bit. Any other thoughts? Okay. Um, just want to, you know, start moving towards the end of this here. We're coming close to the end of the hour. Um, this is a, a, a unique couple for me. Okay. They used to go to, to uh, church with us and, you know, we, we, we've lost, um, you, you know, some good folks, but I, this is Lee and, and, and Betty Ann, Betty Ann or Betty, I can't remember her, her, her first name, uh, the beaches. Okay. So I've used them like for the last 15 years, this story, I thought it was phenomenal. So Lee told me a story one time and I, I found it very profound. Okay. They had, um, they must've lived somewhere on a road where there was a stream near their, the front of their house. Okay. And they had a child that would go out in front of their house. Okay. And would toss, you know, twigs and stones and whatever else off a little bridge. Okay. Um, and it would flow underneath the tunnel that ran underneath the road. And then obviously, you know, go to the other side. So one of their, one of their, uh, their kids was doing this and, um, they threw something in and they ran across the street to, you know, to see it flow out the other end and they were hit by a car and killed. Okay. So Lee told me this story. And if you know, Lee, I mean, he's like about one of the most godly men I've ever met. And, and he told me this story and he said he had a next door neighbor and, um, he, he, he was witnessing this neighbor all the time. You know, he was sharing Christ with him, just, just doing what he knew he had to do. But this guy never came to know the Lord. And he said out of nowhere, about, you know, seven to eight years after his child was killed, the neighbor knocks on the door and, you know, Lee invited him in and was very open to him as usual, even though this, this, this guy was pretty, pretty gruff and, and Lee wanted to know what he wanted. And, uh, he said, he said he, he wanted to know about that Jesus you talk about all the time. Okay. And, and Lee looked at him funny and he said, well, why are you asking me this now? You know, why now? He said, well, I wanted to watch how you dealt with the death of your child. Okay. Um, so he wanted to see, you know, if, if his Jesus was real during that gigantic trial. 
you know, and I think, you know, when we look at people like this, when we look at Nehemiah, when we look at the beaches, okay, you never know what God has for you, okay, and we and we have to stay steadfast to the mission, and, and, and Lee was a good example like Nehemiah, where for years he prayed for his neighbor, he witnessed to his neighbor, and his neighbor came to Christ because of how he carried himself in the moment, and I think, I think you know, through with Nehemiah, and I think, you know, that's, that's a very similar crosswalk is that, you know, as, as believers, we, we have to, you know, know what our mission is, so to speak. Okay. We, we have to articulate that through our, our private time with the Lord. And that, that's something I saw from, from Lee, you know, very clearly. So just a, a you know, final thought, you know, I think that, you know, we, we constantly need to keep thinking about, you know, what, what vision God's laying on our heart, what are we consumed with? So um, what I want to do is I'll just stop the, stop the share here. Let's just close in just a little bit of conversation. Um, I, I'd like to get in touch with each of you this week just to start talking about your why a little bit, you know, and, um, you know, where you see God leading you in these areas. Um, we're definitely going to do all of chapter three next week. So we're going to spend a lot of time on those 40 different assignments all through chapter three. Um, I apologize. I didn't get there today. I just wanted to really hit this last part of uh, chapter two really hard um, before we moved on. Um, and then we're going to just start rolling, you know, trying to do basically a chapter a week um, just to push through. But I, I didn't want to short us at all in getting it started. Um, any, any comments here as we, we move forward and, and kind of go our separate ways on a Saturday? Mike, as I was reading through this, um, especially at verse 13, I think uh, Heidi alluded to it. Um, when he was out there doing recon, I think was her word, I actually wrote that same word in my Bible. But I think the Lord put it on me. It's not just recon. It's an, He was examining that wall. Um, and the Lord took me to what Paul says in Second Corinthians, and uh, I think even Peter alludes to it. We're to examine ourselves. If we don't examine ourselves, uh, the, the four-step uh, pro you know, vision problem solution here that we have, if we don't examine ourselves and know that that problem is what God's putting on our heart, then the next three don't really matter so much at all. It's perfect. It's perfect. And it's not just, it, you know, it's not external. It's internal. You know? Yes, bring up a very good point. Um, I, I think there's got to be intrinsic, not only motivation, but also in, in, intrinsic, you know, validation that we're ready to, to do what God's called us to do. You know, are we emotionally prepared? Are we physically prepared? Okay, to, to, to handle the task of, upon us. So for me, you know, I think of any leader as you're applying for jobs or looking for, for life changes, you better make sure that you're ready to go with that introspection of yourself. For sure. That's a great point, Eric. Any other thoughts that you left here with this morning? Okay. Let's let me close in prayer. I, I appreciate each one of you. I, I still think, uh, again, 
I want to do a better job of being a little bit more detailed next week as we get into chapter three and really digging into the remainder of, of, of Nehemiah and just flow through it. But like I said, you can't shortchange the details here to start for sure. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this group. I pray that each one would be used in a great way. Lord, help them to be obedient to your calling. Help them to take what we've learned in Nehemiah here, Lord, and make application. I think, Lord, um, reading your word requires us to apply your word. And I, and I would just pray for each one of these people that they would do that in their own lives. It's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Hey, Amen. sorry about technical difficulty. You're the pro, Mike. Yeah, right. Thanks. Thanks, right. Yeah, thanks Mike. Thanks, Mike. Have a good one, guys. Yep, bye.